The Word of God we read this morning is Colossians chapter 2. I am presently preaching a series of sermons in the faith congregation on this inspired epistle of the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. The theme of this epistle is found in chapter 1, verse 18, where the Apostle speaks of Christ as the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And here's where the theme comes from, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The preeminence of Christ, that he is above all. That he is sufficient. That's the theme of this epistle to the Colossians. And in chapter 1, the apostle speaks of the pastor of the congregation. His name was Epaphras. Maybe the children remember that. Maybe not. But now you can store that away in your memory that the pastor of the church in Colossae was a man named Epaphras. And he had gone to visit the Apostle Paul in prison and reported that things were going very well in the church in Colossae. The church had not fallen into error, had not fallen into ungodliness. The situation was good from a spiritual point of view, but he did report that there were false teachers. And you're going to recognize that as we read Colossians chapter 2, so that Though things were going well, the the members were strong in faith and in godliness. They were threatened by people who were bringing in the philosophies, the teachings of men. And just briefly, the way that the apostle is dealing with their error is, first of all, not to go on the offensive, uh, going after the error. But he, first of all, sets forth the truth of Christ. And shows the greatness of Christ. And the method of the apostle seems to be this. If you know the greatness of Jesus Christ, that's going to help you not to be attracted to any other teaching. Why would you want anything besides Christ if you know who Christ is? And you see, that's what the false teaching was. Christ is good in so far as he goes, but here's some some other things that you need to do or other things you need to believe in order to be saved. And, and the apostle, first of all, shows, look, if you know who Christ is, the firstborn of every creature, the image of the invisible God, that he's preeminent, that he's sufficient, you're not even going to give the time of day to anything that says Christ is not enough. But then here in chapter 2, he, he does go after and expose the error of the false teachers. So we read the Word of God in Colossians chapter 2. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ." 
As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ." Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and being knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. As far as we read the Word of God, focusing on verse 13 now, and you being dead and your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know who you are. Do you know the truth about man? In the essentials class, part of what is taught there is anthropology, the doctrine or the study of man. Do you know who man is by virtue of his connection to Adam? Do you know who fallen man is? Do you know who you are in Adam? That's a good question. One that God spends much time in His Word answering for us.
But now the question is, beyond that, do you know who you are in Christ? The Bible, the Word of God, spends much time telling us who we are as Christians. And here in the epistle to the Colossians, Paul spends much time telling the congregation then and now here in the Trinity Protestant Reformed Church, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. And here in the text, he says, here are three basic things you need to know about yourselves. He's speaking to the congregation now organically. This may not be true of everyone in the congregation. There may be some here who are hypocrites, who are not living members of the church. But the living members of the church know this about themselves from the Word of God. You were dead. Not you are dead. You were dead and are delivered from death. Secondly, you are made alive or quickened with Christ. And thirdly, you have been forgiven all your sins. That's a simple message, isn't it? So simple that I dare say that you could quiz your children on these three things after the service this morning and they will tell you, yes, this is what God says about us, that we were dead but we're delivered from death. We are alive with Christ and we have the forgiveness of all of our trespasses. Why, if it's so simple, do we need God again and again and again to tell us who we are. Part of the answer to that, of course, is our own sinfulness, isn't it? That we are spiritually weak and often forget who we are. Our faith needs to be strengthened and our knowledge needs to grow. But part of the answer is that God is not the only one who is telling us who we are. That would make it easier, wouldn't it? If God was the only one who spoke to us and the only message we ever heard was from God saying, this is who you are. But the trouble is, is that we live in a world of vain philosophies. Men who will say, if you want to know who you are, we will tell you who you are. Sinful? Dead in sin? No, no, no. You're basically good. Maybe partly bad, partly good, mostly good is most likely what you will hear from the people of this world. In need of a resurrection from the dead to be made completely new from the inside out. No, 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 no. You're mostly good. If you want to become a little better as a person, go through a little education, go through a little uh, reformation work, get rid of some bad habits, develop good habits. You, you have it within you to become better. And no, you don't need the forgiveness of sins. And so the philosophies of men are all around us denying the truth of God, promoting the lies of men. And now remember, here in the context of Colossians 2, the apostles saying there are men in the church who are bringing in the philosophies of the world. Men maybe of reputation. Men who were maybe noted as good thinkers, theologians, and now they're spreading lies among the members of the congregation. And the truth is simple, but the lie comes in and it can obscure the truth. Can't it? So that 
you, the young people, the children in the congregation, we, we tend to become confused. Who are we? And how are we to live? And if you look at the way that people are thinking or living in the congregation, sometimes you might be tempted to say, and I think the Apostle Paul is saying that about some of the members of the, in Colossae, you've forgotten who you are. And so you need to be told. Beloved, we need to be warned not to be confused, not to listen to any of the lies of the world about who we are or how we are to live. We need God to tell us again and again, this is who you are. Now live this way. And so let's hear the Word of God this morning under the theme, Made Alive with Christ. And we notice two things, our past death and our new life. You, as a believing member of the church of Jesus Christ, are taught by the apostle in the text to say, I was dead but I'm not dead anymore. That's amazing. And we know that we have the hope of the resurrection of our bodies, that physically one day we will die. Our bodies will then go to the grave to decay to return to the dust of the ground, but we believe that there is coming a day when death will be swallowed up in victory. That great day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do what you and I cannot do. He is going to speak to the dead who are buried in graves. He's going to say, come forth. And in that day we will all come forth and we will be able to say, and what a day that will be, I was dead in my body but I'm not anymore. I'm delivered from physical death. Well, we know the Apostle's not speaking of our being raised from physical death here in the text because we haven't died yet. and We haven't been raised yet in our bodies from death. But he's saying, nevertheless... Though you will still die physically and though you still have to undergo the bodily resurrection, you can say as a believer, right now, there's a sense in which I used to be dead. But I am not dead anymore. If the Apostle is not speaking about physical death and resurrection, then he has to be speaking here in the text about spiritual death and resurrection. The Apostle is saying, you died. You died. Even before your heart stopped beating. Even before your body was buried in a grave. You died. In Adam and Eve. You are dead in trespasses and sins. The word here in verse 13, you being dead in your sins, is the same word that's translated at the end of the text, trespasses. He's saying you were dead in trespasses. That is, the law of God is the standard of right and wrong. And you were dead under the power of sin so that all that you could do was 
break the law of God, trespass against the law of God. When the law of God came to you saying, do this, you were so dead in sin, under the power of sin, that you said, I won't do it. And when the law of God came to you and said, don't do this, you were so dead in sin, under the power of sin, that you said, that's what I'm going to do. Dead in sin. The apostle doesn't put it this way, but this is the other side of that. Dead in sin, dead to God. No relationship with God. No friendship with God. No love in your soul for God. You being dead, hated God. And because you hated God, the only thing that you could do was break His commandments to do evil against God. And we saw that again this morning, didn't we, in the summary of the law. Being dead in sin, we also hated the neighbor. We couldn't love anyone. There's no such thing, beloved, as a true natural love. Don't look out in the world and say, there's a man who, though he's not a believer, he truly loves his wife. That's not true. He hates her. And don't say there are parents there who truly love their children. That's not true. There's selfishness in their hearts. They're filled with hatred for God and the neighbor. The Apostle Paul, here in Colossians 2, verse 13, is teaching total depravity, total spiritual deadness. You couldn't do anything good according to the law of God. You were only able to commit sin. And this is the idea of being uncircumcised, the uncircumcision of your flesh. The apostle here is not talking about physical circumcision. That there's a piece of flesh that the males have not had cut off. But if you go back to verse 13, he's talking about a circumcision here. Rather, verse 11. Made without hands. And that applies also to the baptism that he's talking about. He's not talking about a physical baptism with water, but a spiritual baptism in which you are raised from the dead with Christ and given faith. And so here, when he speaks of you not being circumcised, he's saying this flesh here is your sinful flesh, and that sinful flesh you haven't been delivered from in the past. Your sinful flesh needed to be cut off yet. And because it hadn't been, you were under the power of sin. You were dead in sin. The uncircumcision of your fleshly, sinful nature. Now, you were only able to do evil. You were not able to do any good. And there was nothing you or anyone else could do about your being dead in sin. These men who come in with the vain philosophies of the world, the teachings of man, who think that man has some power in himself or teaches man, you, you can make yourself better. You can do good. They're wrong. There's nothing anyone out in the world can do to deliver you from your spiritual death. There's nothing you can do to deliver yourself from your spiritual death. For the truth is this, the dead do not 
deliver themselves from death. That's obvious from a physical point of view, isn't it? When we go to the cemetery and we visit the graves of dead people, we have no confidence, no thought even, that those people will ever raise themselves from the dead, from the grave physically. Well, how foolish that there are many people in the church, theologians, who will speak of spiritually dead people choosing salvation to raise themselves from the dead. The dead, physically, spiritually, do not deliver themselves from death. Here's the good news of this text. What man cannot do, God can do. God can raise dead bodies. Jesus Christ is going to do that. He has done that. God can also raise spiritually dead sinners from that spiritual death. But now here's the good news of the text. Not only that God can, He has the ability, but the message of the Apostle is He's done this. You being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened. You being dead means not only this, beloved, but with the apostle, the apostles not only teaching this, in the past you were dead, now you're alive. But he's saying, in the past, all along the way, up to the very moment that God delivered you from death, all along that way, you were dead. You being dead all that time, you doing nothing to contribute to your deliverance or salvation, God, while you were dead, delivered you. So that, beloved, you can say, I was dead, but I'm not anymore. This is the truth that the Apostle is clearly teaching. Dead, totally depraved sinners can say, that's who I was. That's not who I am now. I once was in a condition where the only thing I could do was break the laws of God. The only thing I could do was hate God. The only thing that I could do was hate my neighbor. That's not me anymore. I've been delivered from that death. This is the Word of God. You were dead in sins and trespasses. You were a servant of sin. That's not who you are anymore. So you need to say this to yourself this morning. I was dead as a boy, as a girl, as an adult believer, a young person, but by the power of God, I am not dead anymore. So don't say this of yourself. I can still only do evil. You've been delivered from that. What do we learn from this? Well, first of all, beloved, we learn from this that there's no boasting in ourselves. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 sometime today. Look at what the Apostle teaches there. You, you will see that there's a parallel passage to our passage here in Colossians 2. You maybe remember this. The Apostle says, Ye were dead in trespasses and sins. But then there comes this but. 
you were this, but God now has shown you great mercy. God has brought you alive in Jesus Christ. And you know what the apostle teaches in Ephesians 2? He says, all of grace, this is a gift of God. There's no boasting of yourselves. The boasting is in God. I didn't deliver myself from spiritual death. God did this. But then secondly, the apostle, although he's making that point here in Colossians 2, there's no boasting in you. God has delivered you. But secondly, he's making this point. Being delivered from death, don't go on living as though you are dead. When you were dead in sin, and you were slaves to the sinful teachings of man and the the sinful lifestyle of man, that didn't do you any good, did it? In the past, when you were dead in sin, there was nothing that the teachings or the lifestyle of man could, could do to do you any good. Now, by the grace of God, you've been delivered from being dead. Now, you are no longer dead. And do you see the apostles Warning here, you have people coming into the church who are trying to take you back to the vain philosophies and the vain lifestyles of men that didn't do you any good when you were dead. Now you're not dead anymore. Those things will not do you any good now. So he's saying, know who you are. Not dead. So don't go back to the lifestyle or the thinking of those who are dead. Go forward as those who are alive in Jesus Christ. You're alive, quickened together with Him, with Christ. Now as we've come to the second point where the Apostle saying you were dead, you're not anymore. Now you're alive. We have to take note of the absolute language that the Apostle is using here. He's not saying you're partly dead and partly alive, but he's saying you were dead, you're no longer dead, you're alive. We might be tempted to think that the apostle is too bold, overstating things in the text. Does he not know that we are not yet perfect? Does he not know, you know, we have an old man and a new man. And that old man is dead, yet in sin. And that old man is still within me. And because of that old man, I don't always do the good that I would, and I sometimes do the evil that I would not. I still struggle with sin. Now the new man is in me, and by that new man, I began to love God, to love the neighbor, to love the law of God. But that new man is just a small beginning in me. I only have, a, it seems, not enough, but only a little bit of the new life in me. The Apostle, beloved, knows that we're not perfect and that we still have an old man with the new man and the evidence of that comes in chapter 3, where he gives instruction with regard to this reality. He gives needed instruction about putting off the old man, putting on the new man in Christ 
Jesus. And so the question is, if the Apostle knows this, that we are not perfect yet, that we have the old man and the new man, why does he speak so sharply, so absolutely here in this text, saying, this is not what I'm saying to you, that you're partly dead and you're partly alive. Is the Apostle not being too bold in his language? And the answer is, no. The Apostle is not being too bold. He is teaching the truth in a way that is beautiful and comforting. When he says, you were dead but are now alive, he is not denying that we have the old man, but he's stating very emphatically that old man is not who you are. God has set that old man aside. And God is saying, you're dead to that old man. Even though he's still within you, you will never be identified again according to that old man. Not by God. And if the devil or anybody else around you ever says this of you, you're nothing but a sinner, you may say, that's a lie. That's a slander. The truth is that I am no longer identified by that old man. God having given you the new man, says this now is what counts. The old man doesn't count. That new man, that's what counts. And I see you as a new creature in Jesus Christ. The old man has cut, been cut away, beloved. This is the circumcision of the heart. And this is regeneration. When God delivers us from death, this is what He does. He doesn't go to work on our old man to make that old man better. But God goes to work to put new life in you in me. And that new life is the life of Jesus Christ. So that where all we had at one point in the past was an old man dead in sin and not under the power of ourselves. That's a lie we believe when we're dead in sin. I'm in control. No. The devil was in control. Sin sat in control of us. But when God puts that new life of Jesus Christ in us, that new life becomes Christ in us. And God says, now that's who you are. And not just when you get to heaven. That's going to be glorious. When you get to heaven, you're going to be able to say, I'm no longer dead in sin in any way. I don't have an old man anymore. I am perfectly new in Christ. That's who I am. God says, even now in this life, that is what you may say. I am a new creature in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives to us a new life with Christ. The idea is, your life comes from Christ, but now your life is with Christ as your Lord, as your Redeemer, as your friend. This is the covenant. This is our salvation. When you think of your salvation, you need to think about what you've been delivered from. I have been delivered from 
sin. I've been delivered from hell. I've been delivered from death. But then you need to start to think about what you've been delivered unto. And the Apostle is teaching us very beautifully and very clearly here, this is part of your salvation. You've been delivered from this great evil, sin and death and hell, and you've been delivered unto this great good. And not just heaven, not just some glorious place that's like a a paradise, but what you've been delivered unto is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your life is with Him. And you begin to experience that everywhere you go, not just on Sunday, everywhere you go, everything you do, when you look to Christ, you experience that you're walking with Him. And you speak to Him in prayer. And you listen to Him as you read His Word. You listen to Him as He comes to you from the pulpit through the preacher that He has called and sent to speak His Word to you. And you walk with Him in love. He said this, if you love Me, keep My commandments. As you walk according to His words, you walk in friendship with Christ. And you experience that He is with you in the good times, and in the evil times, in the trials. You walk by faith, in the new life that you have been given, you can say, Christ is with me. I live with Christ. And then, in the communion of the saints. In the faith congregation, we're in Lord's Day 21. The Lord's Day that begins with the question and answer on the Holy Catholic Church. And then the second question and answer, question and answer 55, is on the communion of the saints. And this is our confession. Christ is the head, and this is taught by the Apostle here too in Colossians 1 verse 18. We referred to that earlier. And we all have the Spirit of Christ that is the life of Christ in us. And then we have fellowship with each other. And when we live with fellow believers. And this isn't true just of the office bearers. We believe that. When the minister comes, it's Christ coming to us with His Word. When the elders come, it's Christ coming to rule over us. When the deacons come, it's Christ coming to show us mercy. But beloved, this is what we believe of all of the members of the congregation, that they're the hands and the feet of Christ. So that when you're living in unity and fellowship with fellow believers in the communion of the saints, you're living with Christ. What do we learn from this? Again, praise God for the wonder of salvation. You could not deliver yourself from death. You could not implant yourself into the life of Christ. God has done this. But secondly, here's what the Apostle is saying. Leave your dead life in the past and move on in this life with Christ. I wonder if you have ever heard the phrase, burn the ships. Supposedly, history tells us when Alexander the Great sailed from Greece to Persia, and he wanted to go with his army to conquer the land of Persia. He didn't want his soldiers to go back 
to the life in Greece. He wanted to, them to go on with him into Persia. So he said, burn the ships. Apparently, this is the same thing that was done in the 1500s when Cortez landed in Mexico. And he didn't want his men to think about going back to Spain. So he said, we're going to burn the ships and our focus is going to be on going forward with our life here in Mexico. And that's really the message of the Apostle Paul here. You have a former life. Now burn the ships. Don't even think about going back to that life, but move forward in your life with Christ. And think about the beauty of that. I think if I was with Cortez and left the more advanced society and culture of Europe and was told we're going to burn the ships and you're going to stay here in the more primitive society and culture that was then in Mexico, I'd have been disappointed. I, I would like to keep the ships and go back to my old life. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, look, this is what you were. You were, you were walking among the living dead. Your life was in the grave. You were experiencing the misery of sin. You were under the guilt of God. You were under the curse of God. Your life was a life in which you could only live in depravity and sin and hatred for God and the neighbor. You've been delivered from that. Now, wouldn't you like to say, I'm going to give that life up, and now here's what I've given you. I've given you life in the covenant, friendship with Jesus Christ, with God, with His saints. God has brought you to the new land, the land of life with Christ. And remember this, as you live now in the world where the world is going to give you many different messages, the world is going to come with messages that are enticing. Let's face it, we feel the attraction to the world because of the old man that is still within us. Listen to what we have to say and look at how we live. And when the world comes and, and entices us through the television, through internet, through social media, through the philosophies of men, it can be very enticing to us and to our children. And we need to be ready to say now this morning, I'm not going to listen to that. That's the thinking of dead people. And that's the lifestyle of dead people. I'm moving on from that lifestyle. I'm burning the ships. I'm going on with my life in Christ. His doctrine, His life, His church is what is important to me because I remember who I am. Not dead, but alive with Jesus Christ. Remember who you are and remember why you are who you are in Christ. Not only do you have to say this this morning, I'm not dead, I'm alive, because God has delivered me from death and raised me to new life and regeneration. But the Apostle reminds us, at the end of the verse, that, we have, that He has forgiven you all trespasses. How can God give us life? Legally, we deserve the curse of God. Legally, we deserve to hear God say to us, you've abandoned my commandments. You've trespassed them. 
I'm going to leave you in death. How can God deliver us from death and give us life? The answer of the apostle is through the wonder of the forgiveness of sins. Gracious forgiveness. We are in ourselves guilty and deserving of death and abandonment by God. We're cold, dead, pressed down by guilt, stained with sin. We need a regeneration, a renewal. And why would God do that? The Apostle is teaching this. Legally, he would do that on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. He's going to come to that here in verses 14 and 15, and I plan to preach that next in the faith congregation. But he points to the cross and says, there all your sins were paid for. There all your sins were forgiven. Before you were even raised from the dead, before you were made alive, God's work in you of regenerating you is based on this. It's founded on the work of God for you in Jesus Christ. So why would God give you regeneration, new life? Why would He not throw you out and say you're dead? You're going to stay that way. Why would He say, I'm going to raise you from the dead, give you new life? Well, it's because from eternity He determined to love you and save you. But legally, it's because He has delivered you from the guilt of your sin through the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see then how this tells you who you are and how you must live walking as verse 6 says, in the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I'm going to walk in Christ because I'm not dead. Second, I'm going to walk in Christ because I'm alive with Christ. And third, I'm thankful. I didn't deserve any of this. I deserved to be judged guilty. But God freely, graciously, for the sake only of Jesus Christ and His shed blood, says, you're forgiven. All, all your sins. May God, by His Word, remind us who we are and lead us to live according to who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in Heaven, bless this Word to our hearts and lives. Work it in us by Thy Spirit. Forgive us for all the times when not only we, but others could see that we were not living as new creatures in Christ. And others could see by our testimony of our words or by our behavior that we had forgotten that we're not like the world anymore. That we're alive with Christ. Lord, 
Help us forgive us and help us to overcome our old dead sinful natures. And may our lives today and this coming week be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ who sits enthroned not only at Thy right hand in heaven, but now also by the power of Thy Spirit in our hearts. Hear us for His sake. Amen.